He tamariki wawahi taha. Children who break the calabashes. This pepeha is in Dr. Hirini Mukumid's book, Nga Pepeha Anga Tupuna. Now, there are two meanings to this. One, it can be used in a literal sense. A child that breaks the calabashes can be seen as misbehaving or naughty. But it can also refer to a young person who challenges the status quo. Our family searched where are the top schools in the world for politics, and that's where Yale fell in that category. I'm studying four different courses. The first one is um, Dimensions of Internal Conflict. The second one is um, Political Human Rights. Um, the third is Introduction to Ethics. And the fourth, or the last one, is um, Introduction to the Philosophy of Law. Yeah. The term to describe someone like myself as um, an accelerated learner. Yeah. Ngarauira Pumanawafiti was the star of Māori Boy Genius, a 2011 documentary produced and directed by Petra Brett Kelly. She filmed the family for 16 months and spent a year in post-production. I think as documentary makers we all have uh, certain ideas in our head that we want to explore through film and I had heard many years ago that when we all are around 16 that we start to form our own political um, opinions and we start to make you know quite sort of decisions on where we stand, how we start to view community, politics, society um, and so that was just sort of an idea I had in my head. And um, a friend of mine, Joanna Paul, had read a piece about Nato Weta and thought that this, this could make a great documentary. It's been five years since the release. Enga mana engario, no piki mai, no kaki mai, kitine hotaka, ko teahika. Ko Justin Maritine, emihiko atu kiakoto katua. Ko ngara ui da pumano fiti toku ingoi te puakeo i otaki i raro ngā rekereke oku a mātua i ngā te raukawa a, a nā ka whāngai atu ki roto ngā te kahungunu. Today, ngara ui da has a brand new job in Rotorua which is where I met up with him for a kōrero. So I'm the new research and communications coordinator for NZ Mackey. Yeah, so I help to in a way relieve the, um, the CEO of many of his um, Responsibilities, let's say, insofar as research and comms is concerned, and to promote the the organisation, which I'm quite um, happy about, and again aligns with my values in terms of the um, protection, promotion, and perpetuation of Māori arts and crafts. In the movie Māori Boy Genius, the title of which Ngā's whānau was not comfortable with, filmmaker Petra Brett Kelly documented Ngā's life for 16 months. It centred on his desire, or drive rather, for learning. This would ultimately lead to study at Ivy League University, Yale. That title, Māori Boy Genius, you described just before as a bit of a brand. Mm. Are you comfortable with people calling you that? So Māori Boy Genius is, is a static image of my life captured in time. Māori Boy Genius and Ngāraui are two different people. So you'll often hear me talk about Māori Boy Genius in third person, and the way that um, so like you referred to the brand so for ages, for a long, really long time I struggled to, to deal with the weight 
you know, on the other hand, what, what I've had to reconcile and what I, what I now understand is that actually, again, it's an opportunity to initiate the conversation of actually, what is genius to our people? And, you know, if I, if I took a build on from what I said before, you know, to me, um, it's actually, again, like my, the genius, I suppose, which I possess, has not come from myself as an individual. That's certainly that's not my view. But the education system and the upbringing from which I came. So if we looked at looked at it on that basis alone, there are many geniuses out there throughout the country. I've met them. They go to places like Tewai and Raukawa. They, um, they have kōhanga kūrakaipa roots. The difference between Māori boy genius or Ngā and those people is that they simply weren't acknowledged or aren't recognised. But they're out there. And the only difference is that, well, I'm just one such individual that's been recognised. And so I try to use that brand to be able to initiate the conversation and ask our people, actually, let's re-examine the nature of our true genius because I don't Again, I don't think it, it lies in the individual, but in the system from which I come. Again, kōhanga, kura kaupapa, wānanga. That's, that has been the product of, um, of genius. Efforts by our people to address outstanding and historical um, issues which, you know, which have brought us into the modern circumstances that we now you know, experience today. And so for me, people don't change in a position of comfort. They change, um, they change when they are no longer able... Um, to accept the circumstances in which they live. And so that gave birth to things like kōhanga. That gave birth to things like kūrakaupa. And that's beautifully genius. I followed the footsteps of Tāne Iyarangi. He climbed the great root of knowledge that binds with the land and the skies. As he climbed that root to get to the heavens, things were thrown at him that tried to stop him. But he got there. And when he reached the top, he took the three baskets of knowledge and brought them back down to what I was speaking. So that's what, that's what I pursue. You know, not to be as great as him, but to be second best. The basis, but, um, well, one of the main reasons why I was accepted um, into here in the first place is because I, um, I had um, acquired a qualification, a diploma, from an indigenous university. And that's not probably spoken of enough because, you know, we live in a country where mainstream institutions in our own country won't acknowledge wānanga. Yet here you have an Ivy League overseas who has, who has accepted my enrolment purely on that basis. That's a win for, for Te Wānau and that's a win for the Māori Education Pathway. So 13, you started the degree at Te Wānau in Ōtaki? About, actually about 2007, 2008 I would have completed it. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, and then 2009 I began year two um, studies um, into my degree. And then, so, and then we have the politics of education. And it had to do with um, limitations that were placed on Wānanga to be able to accept um, students um, from Kūrakaupapa backgrounds, studying at a tertiary level, what you had, our, our government is promoting the NCA system as, you know, the best in the world, blah, 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 um, or the best certainly for, for, for New, Zealand, uh, New Zealanders. Now, the issue with that is that when you have Kūrakaupapa students finishing and completing degrees before leaving school at, like, 15, 16, implicitly and directly, it kind of undermines the NCA system, doesn't it? Here you have um, individuals who are able um, to study, uh, certainly in terms of Māteranga Māori, at a tertiary level while at school at the same time. And so this is what I mean by the genius thing is, I'm not the only one who did that. There are, there are students around the country, uh, and uh, again, I have personal relationships with these individuals, who have done exactly that, who have done exactly what I've done. The issue for me is that I'm the only one that's been, 
well, one of the only ones who have, who, who have been acknowledged for their achievements. And what I'm trying to say is that if you're saying that I'm a genius based on that fact alone, well, you have a couple of geniuses around the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean hundreds, I would say. He was leading from the womb, and he had a lot of contributors when I was carrying him. Nga's mum, Makarita Paku. A few days after he was born uh, with my mum, who would um, sit down and tell story. She'd make up stories and read books to him all in te reo. And um, it, that's a good memory that I have because as soon as he arrived here, you know, he had a lot of engagement with people. And I, I've since then studied that process as a tikanga um, from my mother's people of Ngāti Kuri, um, called Whakaputa Tamaiti. So, um, yeah, he, he, I've come to understand that he, he learns in three-year cycles and he has been an accelerated learner specifically since Kōhangareo and fortunately his people on his father's side from Ngāti Raukawa and Ngāti Tūkōri, he recognised his learning style. On the, other, on the flip side, yeah. um, he's one of those kids who always knew what he wanted to learn. He was very stubborn and persistent. And um, I can remember him being two, three years old and he just wouldn't stop kind of hammering us until he was satisfied with the information he was being given or the answers. And I think that was just to get a much deeper understanding from that learning. But in regards to the film, uh, that was, it really was about making sure that the storyline we wanted to convey to the viewers was from our own perspective and experiences in a Māori worldview, when sometimes it was quite quite hard. Um, yeah, definitely the cameras coming into our homes yeah. and following us when we're out doing things. And I, I think, though, that the, the main concern uh, was the title, the title of the film, and uh, we debated that at length amongst ourselves and um, with Joanna and Petra. Uh, so that title doesn't kind of sit comfortably with, um, all, well, mostly Ngaraweta has had to learn to wear it. Producer and director of Mighty Boy Genius, Petra Brett Kelly. It wasn't a title that I chose. It was a title that was decided upon by uh, by the executive producer and by Māori Television, they kind of just, uh, I think she posed it to them and they liked it and went mm. with it. For me, it was a very loaded title, filled with expectation, but it also played into the huge level of expectation that was being placed on him by other people as well. So, um, also, I think. You know, I do believe that there's something to be examined in that word genius because one person's genius is not another's. And what is genius? Because it is kind of a dictate of traditional education and yet he's had non-traditional education. So I was kind of, you know, I was interested in in the title playing on that as well, that he was traversing, you know, these two worlds to all intents and purposes. And so this word genius, I don't know 
if there is a definition in Māori, you know, if there's a, you know, a, a word that's similar, I don't know how it transposes. So that kind of was interesting to me as well. But, you know, I definitely, I played with a lot of other titles, but... Um, mm. But but other people said no 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 you've got to stick with Marty Boy Genius so it wasn't my yep. it wasn't my choice necessarily either but I do think it had some strength to it in the long run. What were some of the the, the harder parts to film and what was some of the maybe the obstacles that you had during the filming process? Um, some of the most difficult parts to film were when he was at Yale Summer School. And his mother and his other siblings were back in New Zealand, mm. and there was such a, um, you know, there was such a struggle in the family. I could I could sense, you know, that you know his mum just wanted to see and touch her son. And they had Skype conversations, of course, but that's nothing like, you know, having the person in front of you. And she could hear and see that he was. You know, he was struggling. He was a, a young man in a foreign land with very challenging courses that he was taking. And um, and so for me telling that story, I had to really push them and say, I need to film these. I know it's tough, but these are the elements that people, the audience, will identify with. Because if you don't have those struggles, then everybody will think, what an extraordinary young man. Gosh, he did it so easily. Mm. And the family, why they came on board right from the word go was that they wanted his story to be um, an example for young Māori, that um, that here is their son, Narauwera Pumano Fiti, but anybody can aspire to greater things. And so I had to say to them, you know, remember why you wanted to tell this story. Well, for it to be a human story that appeals to more people, we have to see struggle. And so, and they got it, but yeah. um, you know that that is when, as a as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, you know, I have to I have to push. And I, you know, and I said to them, I know that you're going to be happy that I've done this. <laughs> you know, while it's mm. hard at the moment, I know when you see the film, you'll understand and you'll appreciate that it does need these elements told. Marty Boy Genius is the only feature documentary I've made in New Zealand, and it was a really tough film for me to make. I was challenged a lot by people, what right did I have to tell this story as a woman and as a Pākehā woman? And that really offended and affected me. While I'm really proud of the film, I'm also reticent to tell another story in New Zealand at the moment. But, you know, my films, I'm attracted to people who I think are going on an interesting journey that I want to go on. And so I... It, I, you know, I'm never dictated by what nationality is this person. So if if I meet somebody in New Zealand and I think, well, that is a really interesting journey, and they and they want, you know, they're prepared for me to come along, then I would take that leap of faith. But um, yeah, it was a really, it was a tough film mm. for me to make. So I'm currently making the film that I made after Marty Boy Genius. I was in Afghanistan off and on for two and a half years, and that was released last year. And the film I'm making at the moment is predominantly we're filming it in China. So, uh, you know, to me there is no limitations to, you know, I'm not restricted by <coughs> countries or language or gender or anything like that. I just am driven to tell 
the stories that I am interested in and that I think matter and that I hope other people will find mm. interesting as well. And, um, yeah, and I hope, you know, there are still, Māori Boy Genius has a Facebook page and still people are commenting on it. So it obviously still resonates with people four years later and I think that that's a testament to, you know, the genuine um, beauty of Naro Wera and his family, you know, because they're an extraordinary family who remained so resolute in their um, dedication to the language and to tikanga Māori and to bringing their children up. You have no immediate whānau in Rotorua. You are from, obviously, through uh, Otaki and Napier. So what was that like relocating or moving here and living here? Um, again, it's, I mean, because it's a new place and I think I'm in my honeymoon phase, you know, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, but, I mean, it just seemed like the obvious step from Tewana Moroko and it seemed like the, um, like the obvious place to make my next contribution to the world and to the survival of Māori culture. Are your studies on hold because of um, putia or costs? Can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, that's more about the overseas trips. You know, certainly at the time, um, because of my age, I didn't qualify for a lot of the scholarship criteria. Oh. Yeah, I mean, being 15 and 16, most of them really don't apply until 17, 18, eh? Uh, and so, like, that became a, a bar- Finance is a huge barrier to returning overseas. Um, I spent some t- a short stint in Victoria to which Tawana Rekor said, you know, if you come and work for us and teach lecture Mātauranga Māori, we'll pay for your masters. <laughs> and so I took up the opportunity and finished that in 2014. So you would have turned 21 recently, yeah? I was doing the maths. It was last year, so I'll, I'll be 22 in February this year. Um, what was your 21st like? Um, I actually didn't have one, and it had. It was more around um, the passing of my grandmother, who was quite influential to my upbringing. It wasn't really a celebratory time. For me, it was kind of stink not having my grandmother there at my 21st, so it didn't really happen. Nga's grandmother, Janet Paku, who was in the documentary, died in 2014. While this journey was taking place and we were filming, um, mum's had medical complications and so we were quietly, you know, looking after her and taking care of her needs um, along the way so that she could have quality life experiences with the time that she had. Carrying on without mum's influence and that's probably the most profound um, experience so far that where the film's concerned, even the trailer, it's, it's really hard for us to watch it. We're very raw from that, but also acknowledge that we're fortunate to have this beautiful tonga that will become a whānau archive for our whole family. And so today, really, our focus has become now how we look after my dad, how we meet his needs and accommodate him to make sure that he's comfortable. My grandfather, his name is uh, Michael Joseph Paku, named after the late uh, Michael Joseph Savage. So that um, crow of mine and that side of my family have strong labour um, roots. So, uh, so two things on that side of my family are important. Uh, firstly, the hahi, and second was the Labour Party. <laughs> mm. And which hahi are we talking about? Uh, the Anglican Church. Anglican Church. And so my mother, my grandmother is the same. Um, she's uh, Katorika, 
Um, but they, they're both the same in the way that they had strong social justice values. This certainly was the purpose of um, my, I suppose, being whangaid out to my grandparents. Mm. A little bit of a tikanga now whanau where the oldest child is taken to the grandparents oh, okay. for the purposes of, of exactly what you described, um, to produce a certain type of individual capable of leading the whanau in the community. Yeah, wow. So from the ages of seven to what age were you with your... Till about 18... And so I sort of don't pretend like their values, as if their values haven't rubbed off onto me, um, especially with the strong social justice type um, uh, upbringing. Um, grandmother uh, spent most of her time in the public service, in corrections, and so we have a strong sort of um, view or in terms of um, contributing. And so she was big on forgiveness and, that t and those um, Catholic principles. And, of course, um, my grandfather played a huge part in that too. Uh, in terms of having a, having the privilege really of, of growing up amongst my grandparents. My parents are strong, um, have a strong tinoranga tiratanga streak, so um, heavily involved in the um, Māori revitalisation movement in Ōtaki, Whakatapuranga Rua Mano. So strong kohanga reo kura kaupapa advocates, and I think that sort of coloured my politics. Um, as I come into adulthood, and then so that's you know from my childhood up to about seven years old, and then that again is tempered again um, by the values of my grandparents. Um, so there's an interesting sort of convergence there of, uh, and I'll be honest, probably um, a sort of Christian socialist, you know, religious roots, um, and um, mana Māori motuhake type mm. uh, worldview. Uh, so. That was my parents at Waitangi, that was my parents at Pākaitori. And so you've got this interesting, um, I suppose, collaboration of two distinctly different thought or worldviews, I should say, from two different generations. You have my grandparents who came through, you know, an era where the Māori voice was muzzled. And then you have that sort of um, woven into the re Renaissance era of my parents, you know, where the reclamation of Māori political um, aspirations and, and the era in which, which represented a new direction for our people. So coming into adulthood, a lot of that, a lot of my approach has been how do I marry those, those two, um, the differences um, together. But what's what, what's common about the two is that you know the Māori aspirations and development remain at the forefront yep. of both styles of upbringing. We um, weren't sheltered. Let's just yeah. yeah. You probably had dinner time was maybe interesting. Did any any corridor around the dinner table? Absolutely heavily political. Um, but there were differences in, in, in the conversations had, and I think that's reflective of the generational gaps between, yeah, my parents and my grandparents. So, um, can you expand a bit more on, on? I mean, I know it's obviously it's, this is what week number three for your job, but can you expand about any maybe upcoming projects that you're working on or? Yes, and now I'm still really, I'm yet to sort of um, sort of iron out the full details of what those projects will look like. A lot of this role will be um, sort of defined by myself in the way that, you know, the, the projects that I'll you know, look to um, in terms of trying to, again, protect, promote and perpetuate uh, Māori arts and crafts. At the moment, I'm treating um, each and every opportunity as a learning experience to upskill um, and to really take a hold of the opportunities provided to Puya, and, and they are many, I might say. What's the, what's the difference, what's the perks of living in Rotorua? 
What's the perks? Kapaka. I'm a Kapaka connoisseur. Yeah. I enjoy the poetry of it, and it's and it's awesome, especially coming from a place like Otaki. Um, I mean, that was certainly something I was worried about was moving into a, a context that would that wouldn't really um, nourish my taha Māori. And so I'm, I'm absolutely glad to be in a space where I can do exactly that. Can we go somewhere where there's um, like a nice backdrop um, now so I can take a couple of photos? I'm thinking, yeah, I'm wondering, Te Pohutu, the guys? I've had one tour around the place. I'm not going to pretend to be a guide either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm told that a true genius is a person who knows not to talk on the subjects that they don't know about. I'm told that the difference between stupidity and genius is that one has a limit. In fact, Einstein said that there are two things in the world that are... Uh, what do you call it? That are um, unlimited, right? Two so things in the world that are unlimited. That are in the universe. In the that universe. Are unlimited. The first is time, yes. and the second is human stupidity. <laughs> there you go. There's one to ponder over. <laughs> so, when it comes to reading and movies, who are your um, maybe inspirational authors? Many of them, like, again, through, I suppose, exposure and through, I suppose, um, these people themselves identifying me, and I say that humbly. Yeah. Um, their uh, examples include like Mona Jackson. Um, he's a he's a, a philosopher and a thinker that I'm quite drawn to, in which I've had the opportunity to have some type of mentoring under. Um, the likes of but yeah, well I think this is simply uh, the product of my upbringing. Um, Fatarangi Winiata, huge visionary in our area, uh, responsible, uh, you know, with others. Um, for the development of Whakatipuranga Ruamano. Yes. Um, so again, like in so far as my parents and my upbringing in Ōtaki is concerned, hugely inf influential, and again, I don't pretend like those values and that vision hasn't rubbed off on me, onto me. So, I'm a political animal. I love watching political documentaries, political analysis. Um, for example, like, my ritual on a, um, on a Tuesday is to catch up on things like Q&A, The Nation, um, the morning report with you know yeah. on, on Radio New Zealand yeah. because by Tuesday, a lot of you know Marae investigates native affairs by by the Tuesday morning afternoon, a lot of that content would have been uploaded onto the yes. onto the yes. you know, internet. Yes. And so Tuesday is my favourite day for um, unpacking political analysis. Yeah, but that's I, okay. This is what I mean. I was a bit reluctant to answer, but I literally watch interviews and unpack. And if the answers are, are good enough, um, almost commit to memory the answers and the ways in which the questions are asked. It's about preparing um, for the curveballs before they come, and then practicing the art of, you know, pretending like as if you just came up with the answer on the spot. <laughs> First name's Ngarawira, and then my second name's Pumanawhiti. That comes from my mother's side, my mother's Tuhoi. And there's a bit of explanation on the movie about the origins of that name, but 
again, that's even see that's even another thing that I've come to deal with is is um, you know so like right down to the psychological you know um, thing of um, not wanting or always referring to myself as a car because you know I've grown up with the with the belief that it, you know there's very few people who'll be able to crack the name on the first go. So living with a name like that is about living with, you know, maybe an unfair expectation that actually people are always going to get your name wrong. So maybe ah, is the more easier way. Also, in this, especially dealing with non-Māori um, or non-Māori speakers, is that, you know, and I thought this is maybe this is over-accommodating, but not wanting to put them into a position of discomfort where they might embarrass themselves. So rather than introducing myself as Ngā Pū Manofati, it's Kilda, my name's Ngā. And others have said to me, "Why would you do that? You're you're, you're distorting, fuck up, up, you know, etc., etc." But you know, I take the view again. It's about it's about accessibility. You know, people have to feel like you're accessible to them. We're at the famous Te Pohutu Geyser, which I'm told is the largest active um, geyser in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm just reading the sign right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He's already mentioned he's not a guide. <laughs> well, Fakarewa, the guys are terrorists, na pui or Fakarewa, so we're just going to take. So um, I think, um, Kaitu Atu Kitero nga Korero Rawera Watu, hey, hey, Fakamara Matu Kiakoto Koway Tene, nga Rawera Pumano Afiti Kyoda. Thank you so much for your time. Kyoda Tenakoi. Tenakoi too.